This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora. You're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0, called Dan Armstrong Tokuwingua. It would be an understatement that Taranaki King Country is a safe national seat. But upsets happen, such as during election night last year, that for a brief moment Labour was ahead of national locally, and this one of the safest national seats in the country. And while Barbara and National still took it on the night, there were so many party votes for Labour, a teacher from Stratford called Angela made it in off the list and has since become the Labour list MP for this area. So similar to my 2019 interview with Barbara Curriga, I caught up with this freshly minted MP to find out who they are and what they're passionate about. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals and this is Labour list MP Angela Roberts. Well, I moved around with my family around um, a lot of the country, but ended up in New Plymouth uh, by the time I started high school. So I attended Spotswood College and then, like most young people in the provinces, decided that I was out of there. So I went to Massey University for a few years and then went on an OE for a few years because that was a thing we could do back then in the 90s. And um, But growing up in New Plymouth was... Um, you know, typical, very relaxed, you know, you biked everywhere, you didn't have curfews and um, small community, um, very much an arts community. I was very much involved in theatre and um, got an opportunity to really stretch myself that way at school. Um, yeah, so it was a pretty relaxed upbringing, really. And what was it like going to Massey and, and leaving a relatively small centre? Well, Massey's um, full of young people who've come from provincial towns, so it wasn't really, didn't really feel that much of a shift. Um, again, Massey, you know, like any universities where you meet people who have got different ideas and um, different ambitions, so it was a real melting pot. It was great fun, um, really strong connection to rural communities, obviously, and um, but a really good um, sort of next step when you want to go off and explore the world, which is all I ever really wanted to do. Um, and so um, from there I went and travelled for a few years and then came back actually to New Plymouth on holiday and um, never went back to Europe. Interesting. So was that when you first got into teaching? Uh, no, I, I worked in local government for a couple of years and then decided that um, I wanted to, um, I guess, feel a little more job satisfaction and make a go back to making a, um, a contribution. I got a very strong um sense of social justice and I guess I saw some satisfaction in going into education so yeah then I, I trained in Auckland and um, have done did most of my teaching down here in Taranaki um, teaching all sorts of things um, as you do in small schools. I had a business degree so um, economics and, and computing and um, and then also some drama because um, treating the boards was something I've, I'd done my whole life. <laughs> Fantastic. And can you give us a sense of what it was, I, I imagine over multiple years, what it was like teaching in a small rural community? Um, I think the advantage of it is that you don't just know each of the students, but you know their families and you know the community that um, you're connected to. So um, that really important relationship between home 
and your students and school is is much easier to sustain. Um, yeah, so um, it's a really great thing when you when you um, welcome a young person, say in year nine, into the school if they've had siblings in your school. It's also much easier to build relationships with the contributing schools. And that was something I was really focused on in, in the last couple of years of my teaching career was um, very much about building up the um, collegiality um, between schools, actually, so we could really wrap around our students, connect with NGOs and government organisations and um, be quite um, nimble in wrapping around our young people. It can be fantastic operating in a small space where you know everyone and their family. Uh, there's obviously still challenges involved with uh, working in a rural space. Uh, did you find any issues with that? Um, I think it's it's uh, when you've when you've lived in other parts of the world or other parts of the country, uh, where um, questions around um, diversity and um, in, in all senses of the word uh, is sometimes still a bit more of a challenge in our rural communities. Um, so it was it's been really great to help our young people explore some of the stuff that's happening around the rest of the world and in other parts of the country and have conversations that um, may have happened a few years ago in other places. So um, it's it's really great to um, help kids to explore those quite challenging ideas around yeah, diversity, for example, and things like mental health, you know, that big transition we've made of being able to talk about it when we're not okay and all those sorts of things have been really great to be able to do in a small community. Uh, and I... I presume there's a slight difference between, uh, you know, teaching economics in a rural space and then becoming the uh, president of the PPTA. Uh, how does one end up in a position like that? Well, I guess it is, um, like I said earlier, my, my sense of social justice. Um, when I saw, um, I got frustrated with things that were happening for my colleagues as a profession of teachers. And also, um, I'm really um, committed to quality public education and the frustrations. And there were things, felt like there were things in the way of that um, sometimes. So I'd step up and step in. And so I became involved in the union um, very early on in my career and just kept stepping up when people said, we need someone to, to do this job. I said, well, I'm up for that. Um, I was quite happy to step in and, and um, take on the, the debate, the challenge and the advocacy and um, and, and ended up in, in Wellington for four years, I guess, as, as president of the, of the teachers' union. And I really enjoyed being in the middle and working out which bits of the system needed correcting because sometimes um, the problem isn't... Uh, immediately connected to the solution and sometimes people would be making suggestions and all they were were band-aids and what we needed to do was make some fundamental change possibly to legislation or policy um, or or simply better resourcing. So that was what drew me to Wellington. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you were there from roughly uh, 2013 to 2017 uh, and in the middle of this time we've got the likes of Mar of Novapay and charter schools happening uh, and it, it certainly looks like you, 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 you weren't quiet in your interactions with uh, then Minister of Education, Hekia Parata. How, how would you characterise uh, that relationship between the education unions and the ministry at the time? 
Yeah, they were. It was a baptism of fire. That's for sure. Nova Pay um, was, you know, happened uh, as I started. We had a new secretary for education at the time, Peter Hughes, and the um, the good thing about that was we built a very strong, trusting relationship very quickly because there was a crisis that needed averting, and we needed to work together to to do that. So um, that was in in some ways it was. There was a, there were some good parts to know the pay, and that we learnt to um, actually uh, get the politics out of the room and get on with solutions. Um, it was it was very problematic. It, it nearly collapsed. It didn't. Um, it's still a problem, but um, it's sort of lumbering along. Um, yes, you're right. We had um, huge battles around um, issues such as charter schools and bulk funding, um, and. Um, the one thing that I um, will always appreciate was the Minister of the Day was always prepared to sit down and have a have a conversation about it. Um, you know that we we kept talking, uh, and so those two fundamental um, uh, pieces of policy um, that in the end uh, we managed to um, to stave off um, because what it came down to, and there are still those today who believe that charter schools should be in place and schools should be bulk funded with teacher salaries as I go back to the evidence. The evidence is very clear that charter schools does not lift our most vulnerable children um, into a successful space long term um, and that um, and that bulk funding doesn't improve um, recruitment and retention of teachers. So I always go back to the evidence and, and I, I'm very clear that um, while there are politicians and parties who are very supportive of restoring charter schools, uh, we will fight it every, every step of the way because the evidence is clear globally, it will not help our students. Charter schools, um, the only advantage really was that they got to um, create smaller class sizes. Now, if that's the solution, then let's create smaller class sizes. Let's make sure we've got well-resourced um, teacher aides. Those sorts of solutions do not require charter schools. We've got a, a wonderful, diverse system. It just needs better resourcing. What would you say to the children and now adults presumably that over the years have gone through these charter schools you know I've got relatives uh, that went to I believe it's Vanguard uh, and they absolutely loved it it gave them opportunities they at the time probably couldn't have gotten within the public sector. Yeah that's that's a really good question to go back and look at what provided those students with success. Now the interesting thing about what what in the a regular system is called a service academy. There are service academies that are functioning around the country. They were functioning, highly functioning, because like you say, they provide opportunities for particular students and they've proven to be very successful. But what I am saying is those opportunities have been afforded in the public system and are sustained and are proving to be successful. We still have service academies around the country. They were around before charter schools and they are still there now. What I am saying is there are ways of finding opportunities to support children, students in those um, visionary and alternative ways without making it um, the public purse paying for a private provider and um, and all of the um, all of the extra bits that go around around that. So absolutely acknowledge um, the beautiful work that happens in something like a service academy, um, and and we've got all sorts of alternative provision where we've been able to concentrate need with provision. Like so, for example, our teen parent units. 
um, immersion units for Pacifica languages and Kura Kaupapa and Kura Iwi. And, you know, there are, and special schools. We've got ways of providing alternatives within the current system without selling out our public system. It's quite a lot to be doing that day in and day out, having that at those robust conversations with ministry officials and going into bat on RNZ uh, and on the 6pm news, uh, to then go from that back to, uh, I believe it's what, Stratford High School, back to teaching uh, presumably economics, theatre, all that type of thing again. What's it like to go uh, from a you know small school uh, to big city, fighting with the Minister of Education, then going back to a small school. What's the transition like there? Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, so I was never going to do more than four years in Wellington anyway, because we do have um, we do value recency in our presidents. Um, you know, the ability to say, you know, this is what it feels like in the classroom. And so I was always going to not be president after four years. And uh, so the choice to go back to my classroom was a very conscious one. Um, I wanted to reconnect with uh, that space. I wanted to reconnect with my profession and my students and my community, um, spend some time with my family. Um, and and that was a really, it was a really good thing to do, to go back and sort of reconnect with my why. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, so it was really great to be um, concentrating on the little things that make a difference to kids' lives. You know, what school production are we going to do this year? How do we make sure, help kids navigate between hockey practice and rehearsals and, um, you know, helping kids be creative and, um, oh, and creativity comes in the form of preparing a policy document for an incoming um, Minister for the Environment in an economics class just as much as um, writing a play. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. Welcome back. In the second part of my interview with MP Angela Roberts, we discuss getting back into politics and what she's passionate about in Parliament. 2020 comes along uh, and you decide to stand for the Labour Party. Can you give, give me an insight uh, for that? Yeah, I guess my, my um, son described gave me a told me a story that it actually helped to bring it um explain it for me and he was talking about um a young doctor who had written a book when he was travelling around in um the back country in, in Central and South America and watching a vaccination program rolling out in um very poor rural communities and he decided actually while it was absolutely critical to have the expertise on the ground in these poor rural communities to have access to the doctors and nurses who were providing the um, vaccinations, you also needed somebody in government who was making decisions that meant that those small, poor rural communities were seen and supported and there was some um, equality in in the system that made sure that um, people didn't get left out. And that's what it felt to me. While it was, you know, it is absolutely critical we have teachers doing what they do, um, I do enjoy being in the middle and making sure that the systems are in place to support our world-class teachers to do what they do best. And, and that's when I started to, I started off thinking, well, how do I support the Labour Party in the, in the election? And I contact the local um, Labour Party in Taranaki King Country, because this is where I live. And I said, look, if you need a hand with flyers, you know, down this end of, end of the electorate, I'm here. And then, you know, conversations continued and I ended up um, standing and they 
thankfully they selected me to run for Taranaki King Country and um, happened to sneak in at number 65 on the list. And congratulations for slipping in. And that's the result of, well, a, a, a pretty astounding result for Labour uh, getting a majority in Parliament. Uh, what was the feeling when you got into the office that day and into the caucus room? Yeah, well, it was interesting because, of course, nothing was confirmed until uh, the specials came in. So while we'd been involved in an induction process for two weeks, I assumed I'd be back in my classroom, and, and I was doing that. When we went to Wellington, I was in class trying to get kids to finish assessments and all that sort of thing. So I was living in two worlds, um, found out um, you know, when the list came out, along with everybody else. Um, ironically, the whip said he had tried to call me to confirm that I was in, but I had my phone off because I was in class. <laughs> so I found out with everybody else, and to turn up in caucus, it, it, yeah, it certainly wasn't um, an expected timeline, um, but I will, um, cer- I'm certainly trying to make the most of every moment I've got in there. Um, I'm not taking any of it for granted. Do you and Maureen Pugh have a sort of a, a mutual understanding of, of, of life at the end of the list? Well, um, there's, yeah, um, there's that. And then there are people in our own caucus who, of course, who have had, had time away from Wellington. Um, the speaker, um, you know, not being the least of them. So um, that idea of, you know, it's a complicated way to Parliament, but the one thing that um, the Prime Minister said in our first caucus, it is actually irrelevant how you end up there. It's the mahi you do while you're there that is important. And um, that is what I carry with me every day. Nice. Uh, So uh, I believe you're on the Education and Workforce uh, Select Committee. So I presume you're now in a position to try and advocate for change. How is life trying to put that influence into use? Yeah, it is interesting. I'm used to, I'm really comfortable in a select committee space, but obviously over, you know, 20 years of being um, presenting on submissions and making recommendations and um, providing opinion and evidence to support or not support uh, legislation that's being passed, contributing to inquiries and things like that. So um, I love select committee. Um, I think it's just such an empowering part of our democracy that any citizen can make a submission on um, on a piece of legislation. Um, and I talk to students about this all the time when they're getting hit up about something. I say, well, make a submission. Ask to make an oral submission. Your voice is important. You know, you're an expert in your field. That is being a student. So I, I do love the select committee process. I think it um, it really helps us to, to get things right because the um, the experts are in the room and... Um, and like I say, that with education, it includes young people, it includes workers. Um, so that's that's a really exciting part of it. And um, and to um, I guess take opportunities to um, to to support because we've, we've got a huge amount of change right across government, not least in education. And it's about making sure that um, we keep everybody. Um, engaged on the way. You know, we've got a huge NCA review happening as well as um, a refresh of the curriculum. We've got tomorrow's schools reviews happening and I guess um, having an opportunity to help because I've got, I guess, a a depth of knowledge um, around education, just helping the ministers to line all those up is is, um, really useful and quite satisfying. 
given that you spent several years on the other side of the debate around creating changes in the education sector, uh, now that you're uh, in office, you're in, in parliament and government, um, do you have a different perspective on politicians and the process for making change? Um, what I have been impressed about is the work that we do um, across parties in select committee. Um, so I was involved in the finishing off of the inquiry into student accommodation. Um, so a lot of the work that we've been attending to in the last six months has been sort of the finishing off of stuff from the last government. And, um, you know, we do have really good, strong debate. But at the end of it all, um, we actually often come up with a lot more in common than not. Does that make sense? So um, actually, I've been really impressed with, um, and it doesn't matter if it's my own select committee or when I've um, subbed in on other select committees, especially some of the, you know, well, they're all curly at the moment, but whether it's environment or infrastructure, um, actually often, or primary um, industries, um, I've spent a lot of time on that, given um, my rural um, living at the moment, and um, I've been really impressed how people have been really prepared to step across the house and, and, and engage in meaningful discussions. We don't always agree, um, but we do work hard to try to find common ground, and I think that came through in the house the other day with the um, with the reporting of the suicide you know, um, report, and um, so the more we can do that and get out of the, you know, the for example, Labor, Labor hates farmers kind of binary thing that just doesn't work, I'm actually sitting down and working through is um, what we find useful. And I've been really impressed with, with that for the most. This, this term, as you get into your role, uh, what are the key things that you're really looking forward to, to fighting for to really sink your teeth into? Yeah, um, I, I'm really excited about um, the education reforms, those three big strands, those big ideas around curriculum in, um, assessment and actually tepukinga for and um, the tomorrow schools reforms. So the trick is to help them keep that on track and keep it connected. Um, helping, um, you know, make sure that we keep the, the, the sectors involved because, um, it is that all four of them are complex and they're all connected to each other. So, um, they're heading in the right direction. Um, they're ambitious, um, because we're not just leaving it to one thing. There's significant work that people like Jan Tanisi are doing around learning support, for example. And, um, so, you know, it, it's really ambitious and it's just a matter of, um, paying attention to what's going on and making sure we get really good feedback and pivot when we when we need to and supporting the ministry to to change things slightly if it you know if as as we move forward in these things to make sure these things remain connected and um, they make progress in the right direction so I'm really keen to be involved in that because they're, they're four great big ideas and it's just helping them roll out which we're not great at in New Zealand with education We've got two and a half thousand crown entities who do their own thing and um, so um, I'm looking forward to that. When it comes to the rural sector, I'm finding that um, the the thing I did learn in the union movement was about sitting down and, and collaborating is, is really messy and time-consuming, but it means you affect good change. So the more conversations I'm having with farmers about things like the water regulations and then actually saying, well, actually, this bit's fine or this bit needs a bit of work or and continuing to engage with them to make sure those water regs 
um, continue to be refined and that they work and they support farmers to become um, sustainable, world-leading and, um, and that happens right across the board. So that engagement in the rural sector is something I'm enjoying. It's tough work, um, but when everyone's prepared in good faith to have the conversation, it's, it's really exciting stuff. Uh, and uh, at the end of these profiling-style episodes, I generally ask uh, a little handful of questions, sort of quick, off the cuff, just to get your instant reaction uh, and your, your, well, your instant answer. Okay. <laughs> don't don't worry. It's, it's go for it. it there's, I wish there were more salacious questions, but there there really aren't. Um, no, go for it. What's the last thing that you ate? Um. A big breakfast because of the football. So I think there were eggs and baked beans and bacon and, yeah, and coffee. If you hadn't have gotten into education, what would you have liked to have done? Oh, hindsight's a fine thing. Um, Not education. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Oh, well, you know, the dream job, an actor. Very nice. Uh, What inspires you? My family do. They're challenging and thought-provoking and demand a lot of me and um, they're very, very smart and, yeah, they inspire me. What's the last thing that made you laugh? Um, oh, my children and the dogs. Yeah, we've got dogs who provide us with a lot of entertainment. <laughs> what was the last thing that made you cry? Kieran McAnulty speaking in the House last week on suicide, reminding us about the impact on our rural communities and our volunteers who have to go and support Farno in these situations. Uh, and finally, do you have a piece of advice for your younger self? Oh, for my younger self, yeah, be ambitious. Um, oh, uh, yeah, be adventurous. Don't be scared to to try different stuff, study different stuff. Um, I think I was adventurous. (laughs) Oh, yeah, um, just trust your gut. Thanks, Angela, as well as to Tom for organising this interview. Even though things are still chaotic during lockdown, you can get in touch with Angela. Her New Plymouth office is at 78 Gill Street. Their phone number is 06-757-5662. Or you can send an email, angela.robertsmp at parliament.govt.nz. And that wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search The Locals. And I'll post those links on the Dan Armstrong Waipaking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Monday with another conversation. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haerera. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.